evening we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews. I'd like you to turn your Bible to chapter 12. Where I'd like to read the opening section we've already studied and then continue our study at the 18th verse. Hebrews chapter 12. I begin reading at verse 1. Hear now God's word. Therefore, let us also, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and sin which will so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised his shame, and has sat down in the right hand of the Son of God. For consider him that has endured such vain saying the sinners himself, that you not wax weary, fainting in your soul. You have not yet resisted us blood, striving against him, and you have forgotten the exhortation of reasons which you have with son. And son, regard not lightly the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved of him. For whom the Lord loves to chasten, and scourges every son that they receive. It is for chastening that you endure. God deals with you as his son. For what son is there whom his father chases him? And if you are without chastening, wherein all have been made partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have the fathers of our flesh chasing us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be subjected unto the fathers of the spirit? Today indeed for a few days chastened us and seen good to us, the peace for our prophets, that we may be partakers of his holiness. All chastening seems for the present do not grow to believe. Yet afterwards you have peaceable freedom to them that have been exercised for a while, even the fear of God. Wherefore lift up the hands that hang down and the calls of you, and make straight paths for your feet. But that which is lame do not turn out of the way without a deal. Follow after peace with all men, and that sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest there be any man that falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby the many defile. Lest there be any fornicators, as the same person of Esau, who heard, one message was sold his own birthright. Do you know that even when he afterward desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected? For he found no place for a change of heart, though he sought diligently of his. For you are not coming to a mountain that might be touched, and yet burned with fire and then with blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice. They were heard and treated with no word more to be spoken of them. they could not endure that which was But even a beast touched the mountains of the stone. And so fearful was the appearance that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and praise. But you are coming to Mount Zion, and into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable hosts of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are in golden heaven, and to God the judge of all, 
to the spirit of just men in the city. And the Jews immediately in the new covenant, and to the blood sprinkling which better than that day. See that she refused not him to speak, for they escaped not when they refused him to join them on earth. Much more shall not we escape to turn away from them. What the Hebrews were concerned with those who professed the Christian faith their attempt to not to live the Christian life through the everyday temptation or persecution or tribulation or distress of some sort, and under those circumstances turn away from the faith to, especially in the case of those who are Hebrews, the Old Testament Christians, those who want to go back to the Old Covenant, to the Mosaic Order, and find in it not only comfort and tradition and to find greater acceptance among people and um, perhaps because of confidence in their own flesh, uh, more security than uh, they are rather done. The author of Hebrews has throughout the book been warning against such a temptation to fall back. And so repeatedly in these chapters, we have seen different kinds of expectations do not fall short of the grace of God. For instance, chapter 4. The author talks about the Old Testament saints that God, the Old Testament Israel, chose the people of God in the wilderness, failing to step into the promised rest that God had given for them because of their unbelief and their disobedience. The author says, I'm fearful that there are some of you who might be the that you might, through your unbelief and faithlessness in the behavior of God, fall short of the rest that you have been in the book, the author continually contrasts the Old Testament Christian and the New Covenant that have been brought in by Jesus Christ so that people might see the superiority of what they have in uh, the New Covenant. He contrasts Jesus as a greater prophet. He contrasts Jesus as a greater one than Moses. He contrasts Jesus as greater than the temple, greater than the sacrificial system, greater than the angels. You need to understand the truth that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the substance. The Old Testament plan of preparation was only a shadow. It was only an anticipation. Now the realization, the reality, must be Jesus to come to that. In chapter 6, the expectation is there about the possibility of laying ourselves in such a frame of mind and that sin that we might have done what we call the other part of the Bible. So we might so renounce our faith that there is no possibility to be the offer of the same time the offer
again, as part of the counterpart, I mean, the point, counterpoint argument, music is superior, don't call that, music is superior, don't call that. So after he's given the argument for the superiority of Jesus here, in chapter 10, he again comes to the warning, the counterpoint, in verse 26, that he's given willfully after he received the knowledge of the truth. There remains one of chapter 5 to 10, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a fearsome desire shall devour the adversary. Now he uses an argument from the Mosaic Treaty. He says, now a man who is dead of nothing, Moses' law, God's about compassion, and the word of fear is very difficult. But how much greater a sort of punishment shall be? Shall he be judged worthy of his cross by the sacred son of God and the son of the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was justified in the holy name, but then justice is spirit and grace? Now what I want to pick up on here is the word Ezekiel. Notice how he begins to use what is called offer glory, reason. Reason is the lesser to the greater. He says, now even in the Mosaic Creed, a man died without compassion. There was no pity, there was no mercy, there was no negotiation about such a thing. But at the mouth of two witnesses, he had done certain things, he should die. Now, you know that. How much worse is it to be before God himself is judged? And how much shorter punishment shall he be judged for he's trodden underfoot the blood of the covenant and has done justice in the spirit of grace? And so he reasons from, you know, the Mosaic system, and if you believe the threat in the day of there, you can get to all the more. Now, he's not speaking to you. The reason I'm pointing this out is because I trust that you listen to the reading Therefore, and for, uh, I wish I had the time, uh, 
do a technical analysis with you on the board and show you how he just repeated me. What he's doing is piling up argument after argument after argument, and you should live this life in faith. That's the 12th verse 1. Wherefore, let us also, just like the Old Testament says, the young man here, seeing we are comfortable about the faith of the great cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sense of what we so easily say, that we might run the race with endurance that is set before us. Why did I take a whole chapter of 
faith? Why have I told you about the grace that you have to run? Why have I warned you about the chasing of the Father and told you about Esau and laid all this before you? Because if you are not touched, I will not be a touch of touch. And the word is tired and so forth. Is that because you are touched and not touched? You begin to resume the theme now of that definitive contrast between the old order and the new. The author now is going to pick up all these pieces of our education and put all them together to one very close dispute with your body. You cannot call that given the contrast between the old and the new. You must give them all four glory from the new. They think of the word new. She talks of the old order and the new as imperfect versus perfect, temporary versus permanent. Law versus gospel, another way of putting that. But then in verse 25, it brings together the new contract that he's going to make. It's one of my favorite ones in the book of Hebrews. really a really interesting way of putting it. He brings together that contract along with the application. and says, See, that you refuse not only to speak, for if they escape not only they refuse him to warn them on earth, much more shall not we escape the eternal life of things born us in heaven. He's now going to use heaven and earth as the context. And he's going to say the old order represented an earthly kingdom, represented by what? Mount Sinai, where the law was given. But we have not come to Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion. We've come to the heavenly reality. We've come to the new Jerusalem. Now, if they tell us, who didn't listen to God when he spoke on earth with Moses, how much more, author of the earth, how much more shall we perish if we refuse to be not speak for us in heaven? So, from a literary standpoint, we need to really appreciate where the book has been to see how now he's going to roll all this stuff. He's going to make the contest and say, Tune out. Now, why do you think the truth is the contest to tune out? because those who are being tempted to fall back in the day in which he was writing to specific audience that he are tempted by Mount Sinai and they are tempted by the Mosaic ordinance of that time. And so he chooses that and say you have earthly mountain and you have heavenly mountain. And what's important for us to see is that we are not come to Mount Sinai. We rather come to Mount Sinai. And one of the, uh, I still remember the voices in my own country, in the city of the Revolutionary. He says in verse 18, So you are not come unto, you notice that there is some place to apply the word mountain, you know, you are not come unto a mountain that might be touched. There's going to be, but you are coming to Mount Sinai. The structure is, you are not coming to a really physical mountain. Think about that language. It's really sick. That's the way we live our lives. That's the way we think. Is that our orientation towards reality? Oh, wait a minute. That's just kind of physical. It's a spiritual reality. We just kind of understand. Now, I, I think the whole direction of this lifestyle, the spirit of all days, is just the opposite. Well, we find reality in what we discuss, what we perceive. Taste or fear of what happens. The 
to the general assembly and said to the first man, Lord of heaven, to God, the judge of all, the spirits of and perfect of the Jews, leading to the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, which better than the neighbor. Seven things to come to But here comes not God. And he laid out the seven whole things. Every one of them carries so much weight and persuasive power. The author, you better believe it's concerned about the scripture. And he can tell us, you know, I say, Pastor, once that was enough to make sure that you don't have to go. You just know that. And that's enough, you just know there's a third. Yes, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh. You really don't have to go to the You don't find it. It's argument upon argument, consideration, evidence upon evidence. He says, Look what you've come to me. How can you do this? He said, What are you coming to? The beginning of the living God, which he calls the heavenly, in which Mount Zion, which is the city of the living God, is the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem forms a contrast with earthly Sinai in Galatians.